Hey guys, this is Nathan, and this is episode number one of The Nathan Seward Show. The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, for checking this out. This is episode number one of the podcast, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm sitting in my kitchen with a microphone talking to myself. It's super weird, but I'm so excited to be doing this. I've dreamed of having a podcast my whole life, and now here I am doing it. So thanks for checking it out. I hope you'll get something out of it. The idea behind this podcast is to, as it said in the tagline, personal conversations with powerful men. So uh, I run a business that helps men find freedom and we do that pretty well. We help men find freedom in their relationships, freedom financially, freedom in their careers and their jobs and just uh, help guys to live a more free, better life. And I wanted this podcast to be an extension of that business where we showcased amazing men from all around the world and have a conversation that's a little bit deeper than the average interview where we dive into masculinity, femininity, sexuality, dark sides, and just so you can see uh, the anatomy of a really powerful man, which um, I get a lot out of these uh, conversations and I hope you will too. So... Who better to have uh, for the first interview than my own personal coach, and his name is Phil Drolet. And I met Phil about 18 months ago. He is an absolute powerhouse of information, knowledge. He um, is very, very passionate about success, but also success with fulfillment. The world is littered with people that are successful but desperately unhappy. There's a lot of unhappy millionaires out there. So Phil's really passionate about finding what's the thing that makes us fulfilled as well as successful. And I think he's uh, learned that art and the science of that very, very well. So he runs a new blog, and you can check that out at newkings.co, where he talks about a lot of the stuff uh, to do with men and masculinity. I think you'll get a lot out of it. He's done uh, an amazing TED Talk uh, called Why Entrepreneurs Are Slowly Killing Themselves. And he was actually mentioned in Richard Branson's latest book. He was quoted in Richard Branson's latest book. And that's the first thing I asked him about. I said, that must have been an amazing feeling when you realized you were in Richard Branson's latest book. And what I was more curious about was, what did your dad say when you ring your dad up and you say, Dad, you won't believe it. I'm in Richard Branson's latest book. What did he say? And so we join the conversation as Phil answers that question. So please enjoy this interview with my coach and friend, Phil Drolet. Well, I actually don't remember what my dad, how my dad reacted. I'm sure he was excited. Uh, my dad's pretty supportive. So he's like, you know, whatever, something small happened. He's like, yeah, that's cool. And then something big happened. He's like, that's cool. And my mom's like, that's nice, sweetie. So, hey, are you still working out? And like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, mom. So it was, it was awesome. And how that came about is pretty interesting. I, about two, three years ago, I went on this like rampage to try to be featured in big publications online. And obviously on the internet, having social proof. So to say like, I've been featured in entrepreneur.com. I've been featured on, you know, a fast company. It's, it gains credibility. So I was trying really hard to get on entrepreneur.com and I wrote this article on how to find the perfect mentor. And I wrote this epic article, sent it to them and they're like, yeah, we'll publish it, but we're going to cut out half of it. And they, they, they like destroyed my baby and they, they took it from an epic post to something that I thought was average. But I was like, okay, whatever. 
And then, um, lo and behold, a year later, Richard Branson and his team picked from that article and quoted me in his new bush book about leadership. So I guess it kind of worked out in the end. Yeah, so yeah, a billionaire was a billionaire. What knew what you were trying to say? He, he picked up what you were putting down. Exactly, exactly. So there was a little divine conspiracy happening the whole time. It looks like. I like it. And the reason I asked about your dad is because you're my personal coach, and we've done, I've done a lot of work on my relationship with my father, and we've grown tremendously. Can you tell me a little bit about the story of the relationship with your dad and how that's grown on this process? You've yeah, had? absolutely. So. As we've talked about, I, I think our relationship with our parents are so, so important. And um, I've always had a good relationship with my dad, but I wouldn't call it great. It was like, it was solid. It was, it was cool. We'd talk on the phone, talk about sports, cars, you know, just kind of surface level. And in 2014, I went to ayahuasca. I went to Peru to do some, uh, some ayahuasca shamanic ceremonies. And I don't know how it came about exactly, but it was made clear to me that if I made my relationship with my parents better, let's say taking it from like a seven out of 10 or six out of 10 to a nine, everything else in my life would get better. That would be sort of one of those force multipliers. And so I got the message and whenever I do shamanic work, my deal with the universe is like, God, give me a message and I promise I'll go and like apply it on the back end. So the day after my ceremony, I called my dad and I was like, hey dad, I feel like we've always had a good relationship, but I don't feel like it's great. And I would really love for us to kind of take our relationship to the next level. Are you open to us exploring how we can do that? And so he was a little bit like, what? But I was also in Peru doing shamanic work. So he knew I would probably come out of the woodwork with some weird stuff next time we talk. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was all for it. And then we, we kind of started working towards that. You use this phrase that I love called upgrading your relationship. And I use that a lot in my own coaching. And I think that's such a beautiful way to put it. You're not telling your your dad or your, your your mom that you're not happy with the relationship or that they're doing something wrong you're saying let's take this to the next level let's upgrade this relationship from where it's been exactly and and that's really the truth of it uh we're trying to build you know i people are a lot more responsive they were like hey it's already pretty good here's why i appreciate x y and z but i think it could be epic you want to create something epic together yeah like who's gonna say no right and especially i think our parents they crave that as well but Sometimes they just don't really know how to um, to discuss it or how to bring it about, or maybe they, they might not be aware of it either. Yeah. Any advice for like having those conversations as like a, a way of being that you kind of think is good to kind of approach those when you start digging a little bit deeper on how you're going to upgrade the relationship or what's not working for you? Yeah, I think the most important thing is it has to be a we conversation. So if you if you think back about how I, I phrased it, it's like, hey, I think we have a good relationship and I would love for us to have a great relationship. Are you open to us exploring this together? So it's really like a co-creative thing. And so if you're listening to this and you know your relationship with your parents or with anybody who's significant in your life could be anywhere from a zero to a 10 out of 10. But even if it's like four out of 10 and you, you, know, you have some resentment or some frustration with that person, don't say, I want you to do this differently. I want you to, no, 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 no. Now it's I and it's you. Now there's separation. So come at it from a we, like we're on the same team. And even if it's difficult, try to, to go deep within your heart, this place within yourself where you feel that connection, you feel that love, you feel that oneness and, and, and speak from that place. You know, we're on the same team. Let's do this together. And people, um, I think, are a lot more responsive to that. 
Yeah, and I know I've learned the hard way on that one. <laughs> I know. We, uh, we all have. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the Wii aspect and the, the upgrading relationship is such great advice, like you say, mm-hmm. for, for upgrading those things with those important people in your life. Yeah, and, and just one more thing to add, Nathan. Yeah. Um, it is going to be uncomfortable. This is, this is difficult. If, if you're listening to this at home, you might be like, oh, that sounds like a good idea, but damn, like, I, you know, part of you is going to resist that. That's completely normal. And I will tell you, and Nathan, you can probably, um, you know, sort of back me up on this, that it's, it's uncomfortable, it's a little bit awkward at first, and it's one of the most worthwhile things you can ever do. Yeah. Like, imagine having maybe three tough conversations, 30 minutes each, or that's an hour and a half of discomfort, to make the rest of your life smoother and more joyful and more connected with the people who brought you into this world. Man, that's some ROI right there. Yeah. That's the, the the hardest conversation I've ever had was the first time I told my father that this relationship between us wasn't working for me. And, you know, like I think when you're talking about upgrading the relationship, the way I look at how it is for most people is we remain in this parent-child dynamic as opposed to two grown adults that can communicate on an even le- level with each other. And so when you're asking your dad and you're telling him that something's not working, you're speaking generally from that kid point of view looking up to this big dad figure and that you don't want to upset and that you want to love you i should say that i want to love me and (laughs) so for me it was um that was like super scary and then three seconds after that you know there was a little bit of resistance but then he didn't run away he didn't stop loving me and the conversation continued and so (laughs) the return on investment for me was instant the toughest moment and also immediate immediate growth after that Exactly. And yeah, 90 minutes is like kind of almost the worst case scenario, but generally instantly, at the very least, you'll feel really proud of yourself. And I think you brought up a really good point, which is in a lot of relationships that long-term relationships, the dynamic evolves. And with our parents specifically, at first, you know, when my dad had me, he was 33, I was zero. Or, yeah. you know, and then eventually he was 43 and I was 10. And then eventually he was 53 and I was 20. But now he's about to turn 64 and I'm 30. Now I'm a man. I, I have my own life. I, he successfully brought me into the world. Like in, on some level, him and I could stop talking and he would see the father. He made me you know, a young, healthy, successful man. That's it. But now we can choose to continue this relationship. But as friends, you know, as a, like spiritual brothers on this journey – that you know, it so happens that he's my dad and I'm his, his son. But we're just two grown men that want to live the best possible life. Let's connect from this place, and that's what we've done since. And it's a heck of a lot more fun for both of us. Yeah, absolutely, it's beautiful. Mm. And tell us, so I want to move on a little bit. And so you, you grew up in Montreal, uh, and then from the time I've known you, you've kind of been on a bit of a journey uh, to different places, and you've lived in a lot of different places. You've settled on Boulder, Colorado now. Um, where you're calling from what, what was the journey of going from place to place and why did you eventually settle on boulder as the place you wanted to you know kind of live long term mm. yeah well one thing that people have to understand about where i'm from quebec montreal saint bruno is my little small town so we're the only french place in all of north america so it's a very unique situation i don't know if there's anywhere else in the world where there's like one pocket of people who speak one language and then a gigantic continent of people that speak a different language mm. but that's our, our reality over there so what that creates is a very inward looking culture people don't really leave people just stay in the little bubble of seven million people and uh and that's kind of how it is 
However, for me, growing up as a, I was passionate about swimming and I was reading all these magazines about the best swimmers in the world and these, these other training principles. And just early on, I saw that the way we do things in my part of the world is just one way. But you can study what the best in the world in Hungary do and learn from them. You can study what the guys in Florida do and learn from them. So it's kind of like I got this curiosity to go explore how else are people living life and what works for other people in different cultures and different you know, swim teams at that time. So um, when I was 18, I got offered a scholarship to go train with the national team in Vancouver. So for most Quebecois people, that's the hardest part. It's that first time you leave. Or for most people in general, leaving home for the first time is terrifying. But I was so excited. Decided to go train with um, like world record holders and Olympic medalists. I was like, ah, screw it, I'm gonna go. And uh, got there, I had to come pick up the language. And then very quickly, uh, I just realized like exploring the world is amazing, and you learn, and you grow, and you have, have adventures, and you make friends. So went from Vancouver, then kind of Toronto, then went to Perth in Australia for graduate school. San Francisco for one day. That did not work out. I just did not like San Francisco, <laughs> so I moved out after a day. San Diego for a few days. And then, then eventually came to Boulder, and I was like, oh, my God, this is great. But then had some more journeying to do, <laughs> went to California, went to Ojai, and then uh, recently came back to Boulder with this feeling of like, yeah, this is it, and, uh, and I'm here for, for the long haul. So I think uh, if, if we live a life where we can live from anywhere in the world, part of the, the quandary is, okay, well, where do I want to live? So I think it's important to explore, um, but eventually it's great to find that place to call home and, and, and i'm glad to have that here in boulder yeah that's something that i've come across i know a lot of my friends you know my friends with a lot of entrepreneurs that travel it's it's a popular thing to do these days is kind of run your business from anywhere in the world but i think that is the new um uh quandary like you say is like okay this is great traveling is great but there's something missing you know that that need for certainty and coming home to the same thing every day eventually takes over Totally. And, and I believe this could be just me personally, but in order to build something really great in the world, like a new organization, a new project, something that's going to be really large scale, we need some sort of grounding. We need to be like rooted and like, okay, I'm in my like home base. I got my community here. I feel solid. And then because I feel so safe with my surroundings, then I have more courage to go out and build something great. But if I'm always traveling and there's always some uncertainty in my everyday life, I might not have the fortitude to build something great and and the focus as well so i think we need to have phases of exploration that's how we get inspired we get ideas we we learn new ways but eventually to find that place to to kind of like bunker down at least for you know a few months at the very least or a few years and then you can build something uh truly epic yeah great i mean i remember the first time i came across you you, were, you just got back from peru and like i'd signed up to your email blog and the, one of the first newsletters I've got, I've got it here actually because it, it was so <laughs> profound. It's a, a real life-changing moment in my life. This is part of the email that said, that, during my trip to Peru in August, I realized that I have infinitely more potential than I'm operating at. When I came back to America and moved to California, I started feeling this yearning in my soul to hit pause on my life as an entrepreneur and to focus on activating this potential within me. I took time to reflect over the holidays to get clear on what matters most at this point in my life. And I realized that for me, it's to reach the levels of consciousness of the great masters who've come before us. The Buddha, Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, etc. Lofty ambition, I know, and to be honest, I believe I can do it. 
I'll be honest and say, like, I had never read anything like that in my life. Like, I'd read a lot of emails. I'd subscribed to a lot of news desks. I'd never read someone talking about reaching the levels of consciousness of the, the great masters. What was going on in your life at that point that you had such a profound insight like that? Mm. I don't know. I, and at the same time, I still feel this. I, I love that you reread that because it's cool to kind of like journey back in time and I still kind of resonate with all that. Um, I don't know. I guess on some level, I've always liked the idea of like shoot for the stars and if you, even if you miss, you'll land on the moon or might be the other way around. Um, I don't know if I can become enlightened. I don't know if I can be you know, one of the, the truly greats, but I do feel like I have some capacity to do something really cool and why not go for it? I think our biggest limiting factor is how much we're willing to get after it. And, and how hungry and sort of aggressive in the pursuit of our own whatever it is. Um, I think that's a big limiting factor. So I've just decided early on to like hit the throttle, like full blast. And along the way, I'm going to inspire a lot of people. People gravitate towards someone who's unabashed about their dreams, about who's so driven, who's going places. People want some of that for themselves. So if you can be that person, you'll always have supporters mentors, allies, clients, friends, you know, that want to be on this journey with you. So I think, um, you know, if you have a dream, if you have an idea, really get after it and, and get after it in a big way and you'll attract a lot of goodness on the journey. Well, it's a beautiful message and I'm, I can attest to that working like it was uncanny timing for me because I replied <laughs> to the email and said something like, holy shit, I've never read anything like that in my life. And <laughs> you came back and said, well, actually, I'm inviting people to join my program. At that time, it was called the Jedi Training Camp. Um, and I kind of signed up. And then a week later, my relationship completely imploded. I had my rock bottom moment. And then I credit you entirely with like, you know, as being my personal coach, you helped me rebuild my life from that moment ever since. It was like the most uh, beautiful piece of serendipity, you know, that how we could have came together and worked together. Absolutely. And as I've told you before, if this message resonated with you, then there's a budding master inside of you. That's the only way that something for thousands and millions of people that'd be like, who the heck is this guy? He's crazy. What is he talking about? But for you, it was like, yes, this is awesome. I want some of that. Um, it shows that, that that sort of seed is inside of you. Now, whether you choose to water it and, and, and care for it and really make it blossom is up to you. But I, I, I know you well, and I know you've chosen that path as well. And I'm, I'm very honored to, um, to see you do that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a good point too, like for you know, a lot of entrepreneurs listening, like when you're putting your message out there, a lot of times we focus on the people that don't resonate with it or even get angry at it. But those few people that do resonate with your message, those are your people. Like those are your customers. Those are the people that you should go after. A thousand true fans is all I need. All we need, right? Absolutely. I got to ask that to, to Tim Ferriss recently. And if you're building a project, it doesn't matter if seven billion people are indifferent or they don't like it or they think it's silly or whatever. As long as a thousand people think it's epic and, and they really love it, you can make your you can have an amazing business. A thousand people. So focus on finding those thousand and everybody else. It, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. It's so inspiring. Um, Easier said than done. Let's be honest. I, <laughs> Let's be honest. I, like, I still care what people think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like, like, like when you're talking about fathers, you just put the disclaimer after every comment that this is really hard. <laughs> it sounds simple, but simple is the hardest thing to achieve. Totally. And, you know, a, a funny thing about men, I have found over time that sometimes saying to someone, 
just so you know, it's going to be really hard for the men that I want to work with that actually turns them on. Mm. They're like, yeah, let's go. I can do it. So I think it's good with these things. It is hard, to be honest, that, you know, to build a business is hard or to, you know, raise your level of consciousness, to get in the shape that you want, to build a dream relationship. Those things are hard, but they're freaking worth it. And who you become in the process, you'll be super proud of. So to the right person, that's like, yeah, let's go. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So I want to move on to TED. Uh, and you get, I know you have an incredibly popular TED talk, which is entitled Why Most Entrepreneurs Are Killing Themselves. Um, and my, I think I'm correct in saying that you were turned down by TEDx initially. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So. I tried for TEDx Boulder 2013 and did not work at all. Right. So what, why do you think you were turned down from by them and how did you handle that rejection, the initial rejection, and come back to create that great talk? Well, I spent about a month crying myself to sleep, <laughs> ran out of tissues, and then I was like, okay, let's get back in the world. Uh, no, well, it's an interesting story, and, and you and I have talked about this in our private conversations, this idea that some people are designed to be more like hunters, and some people are designed to be more like um, – like trappers, if you yeah. will, or like uh, attractors. Yeah. So for me, from my experience so far in life, I've noticed that I'm more of an attractor. It's like I do my thing over here, and and things come to me. Some people are more like let me let me go out there and, and, and grab what I want in the world. So year one, I tried the hunter approach. So I applied and I like tried to like hustle and contact people and like scheme my way into getting a talk and. Um, you know, just didn't work. The year after, I still wanted to give a TEDx talk, but I started to kind of awaken to this this other way of doing things. And I said to myself, this year, I'm just going to put out amazing work in the world. Just every day, focus on creating value, sharing an inspiring message, doing things better than what I see online. And I'll let the TEDx people come and find me. And for me, that just feels better. Uh, as you're listening to the, at home, this might or might not resonate with you. You might be like, no, I just want to go hunt and I like to make things happen. Um, it's totally but my disposition is like letting things come so I did that and then one thing led to another the curator of TEDx Mile High here in Denver saw one of my posts on Facebook that got really popular he was like hey I love what you're talking about with this culture of overwork and overstress and entrepreneurship love to get tea and maybe we can talk about TEDx and I'm like sure so he came to my house we had lovely tea in the afternoon sun amazing and then the idea is like hey do you want to talk at TEDx I was like Yes, I do. And just like that, it happens. So it's a wow. much more effortless process than uh, the year the year before. That's so cool. And again, like I know a lot of people that uh, listen to this will be, um, you know, much more in tune with following the universe, kind of allowing and just um, taking opportunities as they're presented to you. And I get that that's such a beautiful example of that, of just trusting the universe to bring you what is right for you. Totally. Yeah, and then to me, it's uh, uh, that's the, the meta skill of life, how to co-create the universe. And, and I always do my part of the deal. I, I work hard, I'm focused, I'm disciplined. And I also realize that it's not just me. It's like me with this giant intelligent force called God or the universe. And together, we can do some really, really cool stuff, much better than what I can do by myself. Mm. So that's like... <laughs> you know we've talked about this a, a time yeah. or two <laughs> a time or two yeah it's, it's a beautiful concept um the, the the topic of the ted talk itself that you, you did eventually do um why most entrepreneurs are killing themselves you're very passionate about that 
um, idea that being a high achiever or an entrepreneur doesn't mean doesn't have to mean long hours and destroying your body uh, in order to be successful. So I kind of want to find out like why are you so passionate about that concept and do you actually truly believe you can be successful without some kind of sacrifice? The reason I'm so passionate about this topic is because I've lived both sides of the coin and uh, I'm a naturally very driven person, very focused, very succeed at all costs. I'm, I'm kind of like wired that way and I've pushed that to the limit. And I more or less burned myself out. I wasn't totally burnt out, but I was exhausted and just got to that point where it's I'm making the kind of money I want. I'm hanging out with the kind of people I want to hang out. I've got all these professional goals, but I feel kind of like robotic. I feel like there's not that juice and that joy of life that I want to experience. I'm single. I haven't dated a girl in like five years. Um, yeah, and, and just, just kind of got exhausted. And then that's when I got into the shamanic work and, and kind of got those clear messages that there's an easier way to do it, an easier and better way. And, you know, I like success as much as the next guy and I'm okay with hard work. But if there's an easier path, I'll take that one. You know, I'm not crazy. So I started to experiment with balancing the, the masculine energy, the yang energy, which is go for it, discipline, focus, achievement with a little bit more yin, which is rest, which is trusting the universe, which is going with the flow, which is, um, you know, dancing and moving your body in creative ways. And I saw that as we bring both of these together, that's when we are at our best. So to answer your second question, is it possible to achieve without any sacrifice? No. Um, but do you have to sacrifice everything? Absolutely not. So there's a happy middle somewhere. And, you know, we call it a happy middle because that's where you're happy. Of course, you know, I have to discipline myself and still work hard in some ways. And, you know, I can still exercise. I spend time with my girlfriend, take naps every day, have good food, be healthy, be spiritually connected and kick ass in business. And I really believe that because I'm living it. So you mentioned your girlfriend and you also mentioned, you know, you had like five years in there that you were single as well. Um, from the outside, it looks to me like you've taken a slightly different approach to dating and relationships. You kind of mentioned to me that you didn't have a lot of relationships in your 20s, and so you, you kind of really wanted to work on your own personal development, go deeper, and kind of really get to know yourself first, which appears to have worked. You've got an amazing girlfriend now. Um, but what was your rationale behind that kind of waiting and focusing more on personal development? Yeah, well, it was that. That's like how I justified it my mind so i wouldn't feel like a total loser but, <laughs> but really you know there's three things happening part of it was i was working really hard on the business and just kind of putting so much intention and, and and focus on that that there wasn't time for much so that was true second is i was tra traveling the world and i was working on myself and having all these exper experiences and but the third is i was also um really scared to open my heart to someone um, business in a way and that's why a lot of men get it like addicted to work is that it feels safe it, it's kind of like a simple equation the harder I work the better results I get the better results I get the more money I make the more money I make you know the better things are I don't know, um, in some way whereas love is like it's totally different it's, it's vulnerable it's unpredictable it's you're putting it all in the line and you can try your best and it might still not work and you might still get your heart broken um so for me, there was a lot of fear about, um, yeah, just opening my heart to someone and being really close and intimate with a woman. So it felt safer to just, you know, 
work my stuff in my business and go in a more linear direction. Um, so that's kind of what was happening. So what was the turning point that you kind of faced that fear? Well, when did you 20... lose your virginity? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's actually really interesting. Uh, and I don't think uh, she'll mind that I mentioned that. Uh, just earlier today, a, a woman, the, the woman I had my first sexual experiences with, uh, sent me a message on Facebook. And she's like, hey, I, I saw in your post that you said that you've had some struggle with women. And I wonder if I caused that. And uh, she was super sweet of her. And she's like, hey, I just want to have a conversation about it. So I'm like, wow, thank wow. you so much. And um, we didn't actually have sex. We tried, but uh, it didn't work. And uh, so that really kind of like demoralized me. And that was something I had to get over. But um, yeah, the turning point was, you know, at some point I just realized if I ask myself what I want my life to be about, professional success is a big part. Um, radiant health and energy is a big part. Spirituality is a big part. And having an amazing relationship with women like when i'm like old and, and looking back on my life if i didn't get that i'm gonna regret it like i'm gonna feel like i've missed something really really important so in um earlier this year in 2016 one, one way that i like to approach things is to kind of like do like little training camps and uh kind of crash course so i was like okay, i want to get better relationships so i flew to bali and there's a, a city called ubud where you and i met um which is like a three to one woman to man ratio and there was also a really good uh tantra which is sacred spirituality teacher that i got introduced with so I was like let me go to ubud where there's all these amazing women that are into yoga and spirituality and there's this great teacher that can like help me kind of open myself up and let's see what happens so kind of committed myself that way went to ubud for four months and um when i came back to boulder within a week i met the girl of my dreams and been in a relationship with her since we have the gay equivalent of um, Uber, which is the Sydney Mardi Gras. I don't know if you've Interesting. heard of it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Same thing. Very spiritual place. A lot of um, great gay people there as well. Um, <laughs> that's cool. And coming back to what you said, like, you know, that fear of kind of embracing the feminine and kind of getting into that side of it. Uh, you wrote an article. I was lucky enough to see one of the articles on your website before you launched it, newkings.co. You wrote an article called Three Lies You Were Told As A Boy That You're Now Crushing As A Man. Uh, sorry, crushing you as a man, which yes. I recommend everybody, every guy to read. It's incredible. Um, but you talk about like these kind of things about like not showing weakness, not letting your feminine qualities come through, um, which is is part of that fear, you know, like of of looking at that side and like looking at your weaknesses, looking at your fears, and embracing some of those more feminine qualities. A lot of guys will relate to that, right? Me included about being afraid to embrace that stuff again like why is it so important to you why did you write about this um why is it important to embrace those parts of yourself as a man mm. well if we come at it from the angle that one of our biggest aims as men is to be free you know to claim our freedom well there's a lot there's several layers of freedom there's freedom to travel there's freedom to do work we love there's freedom to do um to, to have energy and for me, there's also freedom to experiment with all the parts of myself. As humans, we're much more complex and varied than we give ourselves permission to be. Sometimes I can be a freaking warrior and go train kickboxing and destroy guy in the gyms, destroy guys in the gym. That's part of me. Sometimes I like to curl up and cuddle with my girlfriend and tell her about my deepest fears. That's also part of me. Sometimes I like to be wise and connect with the universe, and sometimes I like to make jokes about farts. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and there's so much more to it. 
And so it, it breaks my heart to, to see that so many men, and myself included, early on in life we were taught that going into the, the territory of the feminine, like exhibiting feminine qualities and, and energies, was wrong. So it's almost like we got cut off a big part of our freedom, which is to, to be feminine. Um, and we come at it from the standpoint that every human on this planet has both masculine energy, which is yang, and we all have feminine energy, which is yin. So that's why the yin and yang sign, you know, black and white. Mm. Um, so for men, you know, let's say the average guy, I'm not sure, like maybe he has 75% masculine energy and 25% feminine energy. So 25% of our, our, of our being gets cut off. And that creates a whole bunch of problems and makes us out of balance and stressed out and overworked and not expressed and, and not able to connect the way that we want. So when I start to realize that and I just like had this epiphany within myself and I looked in the world, I was like, holy crap, this is a big deal. Um, well, I set out to kind of remedy that within myself first and I feel like I've done that to a large part and then to, to help others do the same. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I wrote the article on, you know, that's why I really believe that and, and I want to be – an example of a guy who's deeply masculine and, and solid and powerful, but also feminine and, and in tune with my emotions and, and soft when I need to be. And that's okay. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> masculine and feminine energy alone, but um, a good place to start is that article on your website. Again, I recommend that to any man, you know, to start exploring that side of your, yourself if you haven't already. Um, one thing I like to discuss with every man is this, this kind of idea of their dark side. Um, we all have one, whether we talk about it or not, um, whether it's the, that kind of warrior inside you that has that ability to kill other men, whether it's that sexual part of you that just wants to cheat and sleep with everyone. Um, the, the difference is, you know, people either suppress it, don't talk about it, they succumb to it and become a victim of it, or they learn to kind of manage it and channel it for their best gain. What's your dark side and where do you kind of fit on that scale? Hmm. Interesting question. Well, I will say that my first ever ayahuasca ceremony I did, I had all these intentions. And when I drank the medicine and the tea and I kind of waited for it to kick in, when it did kick in the first two hours, the message was embrace the darkness. Mm. And that totally hit me from like the side on the side of the head. Cause I, that just wasn't a thing and and what I realized in that moment is that my whole life I'd been focusing on like positivity and like bright colors and this and like all like happy-go-lucky and that's part of me but there's also a darker part of me there's a part of me that's destructive there's a part of me that wants to to break shit that's a part of me that wants to be chaotic and and almost like anarchist and like throw away the authority and that's okay too um so I feel like by recognizing that I can now channel it in positive ways. So that's why I train kickboxing. That's why I take coach hours every morning and I like yell in the shower. Um, there's the part of me that's just like, ah, and I can either feed it in healthy ways, like punching a, a punching bag, or it will want to express itself in destructive ways and go get drunk at the bar and get in fights and, you know, do stupid stuff. So, I think I have one. Uh, I acknowledge that now, and I think I, I use it in a, in a healthy way on a regular basis, and that way it doesn't show up in, in um, kind of like self-sabotaging way. 
Perfect. Uh, I mean, I love that. It's so it's such a great example. Like for people listening, you know, that embracing that warrior, that angry part of you, and finding healthy ways to um, let it come out. It's, it's a huge thing, and it's something I'm really passionate about sharing with men as well. Mm, totally. Phil Trelay, thank you so much. Where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to learn more about you or your uh, coaching business? Yes, sir. So newkings.co is the website. Um, it's where I share different strategies. The idea is to help good guys become great men um, like yours truly, uh, Nathan. And just, um, yeah, that's where it's at. So go check it out if you're interested in any of these ideas. And if you have any questions, there's a contact for us. So feel free to send me an email. I'm happy to, uh, to jam on these topics with you. Phil, you're amazing. You've inspired me. You've guided me. You've been there every day for the last two years when I've needed you and uh, I can't say thank you enough to you and it was great to, to turn the tables for once and learn a little bit more <laughs> about you and uh, not just have you listen to all my problems for once so thanks for coming on the show <laughs> my friend and uh, it's been great and I'll talk to you again very soon thank you so much much love my brother and have a great day everyone thanks brother and just like that, episode number one is over. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Phil Drolet. As a reminder, you can catch him on newkings.co. hope you got something out of that conversation. He's an amazing guy, so open and so passionate about these topics of success, fulfillment, and especially helping men to become the best version of themselves. Uh, if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe to The Nathan Seward Show on iTunes. If you saw this on Facebook, give it a like, give it a share. I will love you forever if you do so. And I will be back very soon with episode number two of The Nathan Seward Show. That was The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.